0: It is a real joy to be back with you here at the McDermott Road Church. I'm so thankful for this congregation, thankful for your leadership. I want to thank Wes and your eldership for the invitation to come and spend a little bit of time with you today in God's Word. Obviously, it's been a very difficult and strange time, not only for the church, but for this nation. And we continue to pray for our nation and reconciliation and hope and redemption in addition to people getting back to making a living and having some type of security for their families. I don't know about you, but it's a very stressful time, not only for families, but for individuals as we try to figure out how to follow Jesus in this very troubling world. I hope that you and your family have stayed well and stayed healthy, and hopefully your businesses are strong But if they aren't, and if you aren't doing well, hopefully the time that we spend together today in God's Word will bring you a little bit of hope and comfort during these very strange times. Our TVs have bad news. Our doctors have bad news. Our government often has bad news. But the story of Jesus and the hope of our Father in Heaven is nothing but good news. And we can take great comfort In that as well. I don't want to spend a lot of time today talking about the problems in our country or talking about the coronavirus or the fears that these two things bring because you hear about this every single day and every single evening when you turn on the TV. What I want to do today is spend a little bit of time talking about something that we don't talk about very much at all, but probably the greatest blessing and the greatest source of encouragement that we can find. For times such as these, and that is the wonderful gift of the Holy Spirit. Historically, we've been all over the page when it comes to talking about the Holy Spirit or studying the Holy Spirit, and there's kind of really two main thoughts that I hear people give when we start having conversations about let's talk about the Holy Spirit. One, there's always a group of people who say, we want to know as much as we possibly can about the wonderful Holy Spirit. So let's study him. Let's discuss him. Let's research him so we can know more. And then the second group is on the complete other end of the spectrum. They say, why even try? Because he's so mysterious, he's so difficult to understand. Any efforts that we give are going to end in frustrations or disagreements. So let's just leave him alone and talk about the things that we know much more about. In fact, several years ago, when I was preaching for another church in Texas, I was sitting in on an interview with a young man who was wanting to become our youth minister, and the elders asked him the typical doctrinal questions that you would expect during an interview, and it came time to talk about the Holy Spirit. And they asked him, they said, Brother, what are, what are your thoughts about the Holy Spirit? And this young man said, Well, I really like him. And we all kind of looked at each other and said, what? You you really like him? You know, we like him too. We're, We're for him. We're not against him. But can you tell us a little bit more about the Holy Spirit and your views of the Holy Spirit other than that you really like him? And he danced around the question a little bit. And we quickly realized he doesn't know. He doesn't know anything about him other than the fact that he really likes him. But truth be told, most of our churches are full of adults who have been in the church for years, who if push came to shove couldn't tell you more about the Holy Spirit other than what that young man said. We really like him. But that's the extent of our conversation. And we can do better than that. In fact, we have to do better than that because of all the times in our country that we need to understand the Holy Spirit, of all the the challenges that the church has faced, it's right now because He can provide so much hope for these troubling times. Now, there are a few things we need to understand about the Holy Spirit if we're going to have a true, honest study of what he does. First of all, if if you've noticed, I keep referring to him as a he, because the Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit, he is God. In fact, he's just as much God as God the Father or Jesus the Son, so if we understand that He is God, that means we'll never understand everything about Him. We don't understand everything about God the Father. So how in the world would we ever understand everything about this part of God, the Holy Spirit? We won't, and we should not be afraid about that. And throughout the years, we've, we've been divided in the church about what He does and how he works. Some of our brethren will say that the only time we encounter the Holy Spirit of God is when we read Scripture because he did inspire it. And he is living and he is active. So yes, we encounter him through Bible study, but we don't have a personal relationship with him on a daily basis. Other brethren will take it one step further and they will say, well... Yeah, we do interact with Him through reading God's Word, but He does more than that. He He lives and baptizes believers. He dwells within us. He empowers us for daily living. He serves as a special connection to the Father. And then there might be a third category that would take it one more step and. And they would say, yes, you engage with him through Bible study. And yes, he lives and dwells within you. But he also helps Christians do some pretty miraculous things like speaking in tongues and performing miracles. I don't know where you fall on that spectrum. If I were to guess, most of you, if not all of you fall where I fall. I'm not willing to say that the only time we engage with Him is through Bible study. I'm also not willing to say that He helps us do miraculous things. I think He did at one time. I don't think He does today. I, I can't perform a miracle, and I don't speak in tongues. I do believe that He dwells within us, that He lives within us, and that He empowers us to live every day, especially during troubled times such as these. And there are many passages that speak to this truth. Acts 2.38 and the 8th chapter of Romans, which we'll get to in just a moment. Acts 5.32, 1 Corinthians 6.19. But what I want to do today is not to prove a position. I don't want to spend our time discussing how He dwells within us, though I very clearly believe that He does. I just want us to realize what He can do for us. Because historically, in the church, we have talked more about what the Holy Spirit doesn't do than about what He does. And not only is that extremely discouraging, But that is detrimental to the life of the church. After all, he is God. And and I don't know about you, but I don't get a lot of encouragement talking about what God doesn't do. But I gain a lot of strength and I gain a lot of comfort in talking about what God can do and what God does for my life. And so when we discuss the Holy Spirit, we need to spend more time talking about what He does than what He doesn't do. And so I want to spend a few moments together in God's Word answering that question, what does He do for your life? And what does He do for mine? And there are four things that I'm going to share with us today. Obviously, this is not an exhaustive study, but I do believe that these four things will give you some hope to face these troubling times. First of all, we know from Scripture, specifically from the book of Ephesians, that the Holy Spirit, He grieves. He grieves. If you'll turn with me to the fourth chapter of the book of Ephesians, specifically in verse thirty. Paul tells the church at Ephesus, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom we were sealed for the day of redemption. Now for a very quick side note, to me this proves, and hopefully you see this as well, that the Holy Spirit, He's much more than a Bible study. He's much more than a thing. He's not a thing. He is a person with emotions because he grieves. For example, can you grieve your house? Can you grieve your car? Can you grieve your school or your university or the place where you work? The answer is no. Because these things are physical structures. But you can grieve the people who live in your house or the people who ride in your car or the people that you go to school or work with. Why can you grieve them? They are people. They have feelings. Holy Spirit is no different. He has feelings. If He did not have feelings, He could not be grieved. But Paul tells the church at Ephesus, do not grieve him. And that begs the question, well, how do we do that? That sounds pretty bad. So how do we grieve the Holy Spirit of God? Oh, we could have a long series about that. Some things come to my mind when we don't live a life worthy of the calling which God has for each of our lives... We grieve the Holy Spirit of God. When we do not walk in step with the Spirit, as Paul describes in Galatians 5... We grieve the Holy Spirit of God. I love that chapter in verses really 16 through 22 and a little bit further on because Paul explains how the Spirit manifests himself in our lives. Paul says he is full of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. Let me tell you, you already know this. There are a lot of people in our nation right now grieving the Holy Spirit of God. because they're not loving, or certainly not kind, or patient, or self-controlled. Paul says don't do that. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. I think there's another insight in the, the book of Romans in chapter 12, when... Paul says that we've all been given different gifts according to the grace that God has given us. Paul says in verses 6 and 7, if a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give his money and do it generously. If his gift is leadership, let him govern in the ways of God. Paraphrase for us today, if you come to McDermott or any other congregation and just sit on a pew and complain and you don't use your gift that God has given you to build up the kingdom in this place, you are grieving the Holy Spirit of God. And Paul says don't do that. But the whole point here is that he has emotions based on your life. He feels for you. He cares for you. And He wants to speak on your behalf to God with very good news. But the second thing we know about the Spirit and what He does, also from the book of Ephesians, is that He guarantees He guarantees, listen to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 through 14. Paul says, having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. He guarantees what is to come in the life beyond earth. And Paul says that he guarantees in two different ways. First of all, he is a seal. You know what a seal does. We see them all the time in our world. If you visit Washington, D.C., and if you are lucky enough to get inside the White House and maybe see a replica of the Oval Office, on the floor of the Oval Office, on the carpet, is the presidential seal. What does that seal say? This office belongs to the President of the United States. It's a symbol of ownership. That same seal is on the side of Air Force One. What does it mean? This plane belongs to the President of the United States. I went to Harding University. Both my undergraduate and graduate degrees have the seal of Harding University on the diploma. That diploma says... This degree was a product of this institution. You belonged to Harding University. If you are old school like me and you still get your utility bills in the mail, next time you get one, look at it. It'll have a seal of your city, whether that be Plano or Allen or McKinney or Frisco, on that bill that tells you how much you owe them for the water or the electricity. That seal will remind you this water belongs to this city. A seal is a symbol of ownership. And Paul says that the Holy Spirit serves as a seal for you. He is a symbol that tells the story that you belong to God. You are his child and no one else's. Aren't you thankful for that seal? And Paul says it's not just a seal that guarantees, but it's a deposit. If you've bought a home or maybe even a car, maybe not right now with 0% interest, but if you've bought a car, many times you have to put down what's called a down payment or a deposit, and that little bit of money says, I'm good for this purchase. I'm a qualified buyer. I'm not going to back out of this deal. Well, God allows His Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to be a deposit on your life. And it says, I guarantee that I'm going to complete this purchase. I guarantee that I'm not going to back out of this deal. I am a qualified buyer of my people because you belong to me. And what a blessing it is to know that He, the Holy Spirit, guarantees that for us in the same way that He grieves when our life isn't exactly what He wants. The third thing that we know the Holy Spirit does, and now we're getting into the book of Romans is that the Spirit testifies. Romans chapter 8, verse 16. Paul says that the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Maybe you've been a witness before in a court of law, or at least you've watched it on TV, but... What happens when an attorney calls a witness to the stand? They ask them a lot of questions. They want to know what they have seen or what they've experienced or what they know. Now, not everyone's a credible witness. In fact, if a witness is called to the stand and the attorney starts asking them questions about their experiences and the witness will make a statement like, well, I heard someone say, if it's a good opposing counsel, the opposing counsel will object and say, your honor, this is hearsay. This is not admissible. We cannot enter into the record something that someone heard. It's not credible. Only something that someone has experienced firsthand. Or has seen, or something that they know. And guess what? The Holy Spirit, He's a very credible witness for your life. You know why? Because He lives in you. That's why the Holy Spirit can speak to God and say, I know Jacob, I know him very well, or I know Wes, or I know any child of God who's a baptized believer because I live in them. And so I experience what they experience and I see what they feel. And I know what they think. And I know how they plan. And I know about the faith that they may or may not have. He's a great witness. And Paul tells us what he wants to say. He wants to testify that you're God's child. He wants to testify that you're on the right team. And oh, he is the perfect witness to make that message known. The world can't do that. Your family may not be able to do that but the Holy Spirit can if you're living the right life. But the last description that I want to mention in our time together about what He does for us is by far my favorite later on in Romans chapter 8. We know from Scripture that the Holy Spirit, He intercedes. Paul says in the same way The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. Have you ever been in a situation where you did not know what to pray for? Now, I didn't say you didn't know that you needed to pray. You knew that. And and you knew kind of how to pray, the rhythm, the methodology, because you've prayed before problem was you literally did not have the words to utter from your mouth. Having a healthy prayer life and praying the way that God wants has always been a problem for God's people. It was a problem for the disciples of Jesus. And they watched him perform miracles. And they heard him preach sermons. And even after they watched all of those wonderful things, they still said, to Jesus, Lord, teach us how to pray. How do we do this the right way? The longer I live, the more that I realize that there are some situations in life where you don't know how to pray. You don't know what to say. For example, what do you do when you get a phone call in the middle of the night and it's from a frantic mother or a frantic wife or a frantic spouse and you hear those terrible words that someone has just died in the home but even worse than that, they haven't passed away naturally. What if they've taken their own life And you show up to minister. What do you say in that moment? Or you just show up at the hospital. And maybe it is the more natural death, but for that family, it's not any easier. Ministers and shepherds are offered this Tremendous honor and blessing for families who pull back the curtain and invite them into the most intimate moments in their family's history. And you walk into that small hospital room and lying there on that bed is the physical body of someone who has just left this earth. Their soul has left the room. Their soul has gone on to paradise or to Abraham's bosom. As we read in Luke chapter 12, that is now just a physical house that once held who that person was. And they are gone. But that family still weeps over that body. Their tears drop down onto the deceased face. They don't want to let go and you're standing there watching it all. You say in that moment? Or maybe one of the worst I've ever experienced as a minister. You show up in the hospital, and in the waiting room is an entire family with pink balloons or blue balloons or cigars made of chocolate because the new baby. The extension of the family has finally arrived, and the nursery is ready at home. And the grandparents are ready with their cameras. But unexpectedly, the, the baby was delivered, and the baby wasn't breathing. The baby was stillborn. And you walk into that small hospital room, and there sits two young parents, holding the lifeless body of their baby that they had been waiting for for so many months, maybe even so many years, looking at you, wanting an explanation. What do you say in that moment? When I first started preaching 10 years ago, I I thought that it was my job as a minister to walk in there and pray some beautiful prayer and give some great spiritual cliche to help remove their pain. And I quickly learned that there is nothing I can say. There's nothing anyone can say can say in that moment to even slightly diminish the tremendous amount of pain that they are experiencing. What they need is a minister. They need a shepherd to show up, to wrap their arms around them, and to say, I don't have the words right now, and I'm not even going to pretend that I do, but we know one who does. His name is the Holy Spirit. And we are going to let Him do the talking for us. And He's going to tell God exactly what we want to say. And church, i got to tell you, as people of faith, That's the prayer that we need for our nation. There's not a single Facebook post or even a sermon that can do justice to the lack of justice that has been seen in our country. But we need to depend on the Holy Spirit to do the talking and to do the work for us. And the reason we know that it works this way is because of what Paul also said in this beautiful chapter. Look what Paul said in verse 15. He said, You did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him, the Holy Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. You've probably heard someone preach or teach before that that term Abba is a very endearing, intimate term. It's almost the way that a child would refer to their father as daddy. Now you may not want to call God daddy. I, I don't either. You may think it kind of crosses this line of reverence and respect. I kind of do as well. But even though I don't literally say the word daddy, I know in my heart when I approach God through the Holy Spirit, that's who he is. And that's who he wants to be is a loving, kind, patient Father who knows exactly what we need and who will make it happen the way that He sees fit. And what is so incredible is even when our heart and even when our attitude isn't right, the Holy Spirit fixes that. He makes it Right, he never messes up. You have a feature on your smartphone called autocorrect, and I don't know about you, but it's got me into a lot of trouble over the years. It has not corrected anything; just made it worse. In fact, several years ago, when I was living in Kerrville, one of my elders asked me to preach a certain type of sermon over a certain type of subject, and when the worship service was over, I didn't get to speak to him while we were there at the building. So I texted him later that afternoon. I said, did you hear the sermon today? Or that's at least what I thought I was telling him. But autocorrect thought it would just bless my life. And instead of it saying, did you hear the sermon today? I texted one of my elders, did you hear the demon today? And I received a response of about five question marks. Had to explain to him, that's not what I meant. You know, the Holy Spirit, He makes sure the right message is sent. Look what Paul says in verse 27 of Romans chapter 8. The Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. That's how the message is relayed, in accordance with God's will. Not, Not my will and not your will, in accordance with God's will. If that's the message that needs to be sent, that is the message that will absolutely be sent and i've seen in my life when it's not sent because it's my will rather than his i don't know if you're a big baseball fan but do you remember in 2011 when the rangers were in the world series for the second year in a row we were one strike away twice from winning it i'm clearly over it one strike away and i remember I remember that night I was sitting on the floor and I was praying as hard as I could pray. I was rocking back and forth, just praying for God to intervene and to let us have the championship. We didn't win. Why did we not win? I hate to break it to you baseball fans. It's because God doesn't care about baseball. Baseball. God doesn't care about football. That may be even harder for you to hear. Here's real life. God doesn't really care about whether or not you're going to be wealthy. And God doesn't necessarily care if you're always going to be healthy. But God does care about righteousness, God does care about mercy. God does care about faithfulness and His kingdom and His will being done on earth. And when the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with that will in mind, it's a guaranteed message. And it's a guaranteed yes. The Holy Spirit He is one of the greatest blessings of God. And maybe you have some type of heirloom from a deceased relative or parent or spouse or friend. Maybe it's a picture or a necktie, some type of dish or recipe. I have a very small, baby blue, New Testament pocket Bible that belonged to my great-grandmother. She passed away when I was two, and I really don't ever remember meeting her. But I do have her New Testament Bible. And that New Testament Bible, baby blue in color, reminds me every time I see it that she was a very important part of the Hawk family. And again, maybe you have something like that, that someone gave you to remember them by. But as precious as that gift is, whatever it may be, does that heirloom bring your loved one back? Of course not. It's a memory of them, and it's a wonderful memory, but at the end of the day, that's all it is. It's a memory. They're still gone. But you see, God loved us so much that when God gave us the Holy Spirit, God said, I want you to have more than a photo I want you to have more than a memory. I even want you to have more than this book. I want you to have me. And so I'm going to give my people, baptized believers in the blood of my Son, I'm going to give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it will be the greatest gift that you will ever receive on this earth. The Holy Spirit of God. There's nothing we need more in these troubling times. May God bless you.